and Sanctuary with Emma Newman. Hello my lovelies. Oh, it's awful out there, isn't it? Let's have a nice cup of tea together and maybe a cheeky biscuit or three and have a little catch-up. Well, I'm having a cup of tea. You can have whatever you like, of course, as long as it makes you happy. If it pleases you, feel free to imagine that we're in a cosy hut in the middle of a huge forest. There's snow everywhere, but inside there is a stove that is keeping us warm while boiling the kettle for the next pot of tea. There are blankets over there, help yourself, and there's gingerbread in that tin. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, it is the shortest day of the year. This is the darkest it gets, my lovelies. And if you are one of the strange people, like me, who actually cannot stand the summer (laughs) and meets the midwinter solstice with a little bit of dread, console yourself with the thought that it's not going to get hot for at least three or four months and we're going to be okay for a little while yet. And of course, for my lovelies listening in the Southern Hemisphere, Oh, how wonderful for you. The awful summer heat will soon be gone. (laughs) If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm going to talk to you about things that have made me happy, things that have given me hope, and then a little bit about what I've been up to lately. Five segments in all and unscripted. Above all else, I want to create a sanctuary just for a little while for you and I so that we can restore ourselves, because goodness knows we all need it. Part 1. A Delightful Real-World Experience Dear listeners, I recently had the privilege of spending two weeks in deepest, darkest, rural Shropshire, and oh my goodness, I'm in love. You know those books or movies where there's a story told by somebody where they describe how they met somebody and then they go, oh, I saw them and I knew that I was going to marry them. This is exactly how I feel about Shropshire. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm going to marry Shropshire, though like Jake in Adventure Time talking about wanting to marry his bed. (laughs) That's how I feel about Shropshire. I have been to the place that I will live one day. Maybe that's what people mean when they when they have these moments in books and movies. That they know, looking at that person, that that is who they are supposed to be with, who they want to be with. Oh, it seems deeply suspicious to me. But anyway, this is exactly what happened with me in Shropshire. I'm going to live there one day. It's beautiful. The reason I was there was because a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, was house-sitting for a work colleague and they have this cottage really in the middle of nowhere in this valley in the middle of the Shropshire Hills which is an area of outstanding natural beauty. It has an official designation of being proper lovely and she didn't want to be there by herself because it really is in the middle of nowhere and my goodness it's dark at night. And being a writer and podcaster and all of the other silly things I get up to, obviously I can work anywhere. So I said that I would. 
To get to this cottage, the last three miles of road are single width. And normally that would make me incredibly stressed. But so few people live in the Shropshire Hills that you very rarely get traffic coming in the opposite direction. It is so sparsely populated. And the thing that's wonderful about this cottage is that there is a river running at the bottom of the garden several metres below the cottage so you never worry about floods which is good because it rained a lot at various points and the river rose yeah quite a lot (laughs) on a few days. This cottage is in a forested valley and because of its situation near the bottom of the valley when you look out of the window any window in the cottage all you see is green and golds and coppers of late autumn. It was so good for the soul, I went out walking every day and <laughs> I'm someone who never remembers to take pictures of anything. I've I've had so many amazing experiences and I have no photographic record of them whatsoever. But there was something about Shropshire that just made me go, I need to take a picture of this. It's so beautiful, I must record it. About every two minutes. <laughs> So (laughs) my walks were like twice the length that they would normally be because every couple of minutes I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. And I'd have to take a picture. It, It was just so soothing to be in a place where there was no man made noise for the like 99.5% of the time. The only time that I heard noise was the local farmer on his quad bike occasionally riding past the cottage to go and collect the sheep. And two or three cars a day, if that, and one plane. Beautiful, beautiful place. I posted a few pictures on Instagram and someone said, don't let anyone else know. Keep Shropshire a secret. And it does feel like that. It does feel like the county that the rest of the UK forgot. And that's part of why I love it so much. It's so sparsely populated. I feel so lucky that I had the opportunity to do that. And I was very lucky that my dear friend that I was keeping company loves cooking and was happy to cook every night. It was it was bliss. It was absolute bliss. So, yes, now I know the cottage core life is for me <laughs> as remote as possible. Not too remote, though. There was a small town about three and a half miles away, um, which was very artsy, had lots of art galleries and um, a beautiful bookshop. And I thought, yeah, this, this is this is the right balance for me. Having other creative people nearby, but the nearby being several miles. Oh, bless. Part two, a delightful creative work. Uh, I've been lucky enough to consume many delightful creative works of late, but one of the ones I wanted to talk about today is a YouTube series called Unfinished London, and it's by a chap called Jay Foreman. And I understand that he has done like live shows where he does like clever things with music and lyrics and things, but and potentially stand-up comedy, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't consumed any of that stuff. The only stuff that I've consumed by Jay Foreman is the Unfinished London series and also Map Men, 
which is a YouTube show that he does with a friend of his, which is also excellent and funny. The thing I love about Unfinished London, and I will put a link to this in the show notes, is that it's genuinely informative and interesting, but it's presented (laughs) in a really comic way. And it just really appeals to my sense of humour. Just that he, throughout, gently takes the mickey out of all documentary presenters ever. And lovingly makes fun of all of the tropes of, you know, what happens when people walk towards camera whilst delivering the next bit of information. It's it's adorable. It's very, very British. It's absolutely great. I love it. I thoroughly recommend it. I don't think there's much more to say about that. He basically talks about lots of different aspects of London from the design of the underground map and has the most amazing cameo by somebody who runs another YouTube channel, which I also watch, which is a very, very nerdy channel about the London Underground. (laughs) Honestly, I'm such a nerd. But anyway, um, so there's a series about the design of the tube map. There's stuff about all of the motorways that were started and then stopped public transport, how the councils are run. And it sounds on the surface like stuff that may not be necessarily interesting. Like, why is it interesting to talk about all of the different boroughs of London and why they're divided up that way and how it's run? But he is such a funny guy that it just, he makes it engaging and hilarious at points and um, genuinely a joyful thing to consume, so I thoroughly recommend it. Part three, something that gives me hope. One of the other wonderful things about my trip to Shropshire is that it was actually the kind of the halfway point between where I live and where my dad lives. And if you're listening to this and you followed the Operation Mallard stuff, that went crazy over the last couple of years. Yes, that's my dad, the Operation Mallard guy, the the guy who has ducks that come and nest on his balcony nine floors up. (laughs) He came to visit just for 24 hours and, oh, it was just so wonderful. I really have not seen a lot of my dad over the past few years because of the pandemic. And um, we're very close. I love him dearly. And one of the really wonderful things that happened is that we went on a couple of long walks and my dad knows so much about birds. He's been a member of the RSPB, which is the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, for literally all his life from the age of, I don't know, 11 or something crazy. And anyway, we went out for a walk. We did two long walks in the valley and I'd seen a few days before he came these birds of prey flying down the valley and my friend and I weren't sure what they were. And I thought, well, I'll ask my dad. My dad will know. And of course he did. They were red kites. And we watched them. There were five of them. And he um, speculated that it was actually a mating pair and uh, three young because they were all clearly flying together and um, hunting down the valley. And it was the most beautiful thing to watch. But what was lovely was that I stood there next to my dad 
looking up at these beautiful birds, red kites. Um, go and look them up online. They they are absolutely beautiful. And he smiled and he said, well, there's a success story. And I thought it was a strange thing to say. And I asked him what he meant by that. And he told me that they were once an endangered species. And the fact that we were seeing so many in the valley proved that the efforts to reintroduce them across the country was actually working. So I came home and I did a bit of research. And um, on the RSPB's website, there's a, a whole page about this. And the red kite is subject to the longest continual conservation project in the world, which I didn't know. In the 1980s, the red kite was one of only three globally threatened species in the UK. And so it was a high priority for conservation efforts. That's a quote from their website. So basically, in the 1990s, they introduced 93 birds, um, the 93 red kites that had been bred in Sweden and Spain and introduced them to Scotland and England. And in the early 90s, they had their first successful breeding and have just continually worked to try and increase the population. And the fact that these birds were in Shropshire showed that it was a success. And there, I saw them lots over the two weeks that I was there. And so, yeah, it was a success story. It is a success story in that valley in particular, um, but for the, the red kite uh, in general. And it does give me hope that when the right efforts are made, when people realise that there is a problem and make active efforts to conserve habitats, to remove threats in the environment, to outlaw the stealing of eggs, etc., etc., that these things can be successful. And it was a really lovely moment, actually. Probably one I'll remember for the rest of my life of standing in the most beautiful place, surrounded on both sides by forested hills and looking up into this beautiful blue sky and seeing the shapes of these five red kites and hearing their calls as they flew down the valley and my dad looking up at them and looking so happy. It was beautiful. Part four, adventures in surviving late stage capitalism as a writer. Oh my life, I've been so busy. That's why there has been a bigger gap between the last episode and this one. And just as an aside on that, I mentioned online yesterday that I was trying to forgive myself for the fact that there'd been a delay in the next episode. And somebody replied and said, don't worry about it. I've been saving up your episodes to listen to all in one go. So when you release them, the schedule you use to release them doesn't actually make any difference because they are just there waiting for me for when I want to go and listen to them all. And it suddenly occurred to me that I have been thinking about podcasts in terms of a very old fashioned kind of attitude. There was a time when the schedule that things were released on, I think, made much more of an impact. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about algorithms and promotion things and all that kind of stuff. 
all of the places that make money from content being produced and sent out pressurise people to put stuff out every week or whatever because of obviously that's that's how they survive. For example, the YouTube algorithm really penalises people if they don't maintain a schedule of producing content. Of course they want people to produce new content all the time. They want viewers to stay on the website, to stay on their service. And so hearing that feedback gave me such a sense of relief that I realised I'd been putting so much pressure on myself. Now, part of it was also because of the reason I started this podcast, which is basically that everything is terrible and I wanted people to have some kind of sanctuary from it. And I do want that. And I do think that that makes it important to me to release this as semi-regularly as I can so that the people who are listening to them as soon as they come out get that little bit of coziness. But I am very busy and under a lot of pressure to try and survive myself as well, because times are tough. So I was trying to keep this to a fortnightly schedule um, and I am still going to try to do that. But there may be longer gaps where I have a lot of work on, like there has been recently. And in the grand scheme of things, when people stumble across a new podcast, they, they don't worry about what the gaps were between the different episodes, right? So I'm recording this today after finishing a huge amount of work over the last four weeks and feeling really enthusiastic about talking to you about all of this stuff and it was such a lovely feeling because there's nothing worse than people being ground into the earth trying to keep a production schedule surely it's far better for us to talk about things that we're enthusiastic about when we have the energy and the breathing space to do so so yeah, I, I was thinking about that a lot this morning because I actually planned to do something else today. I have a couple of other things that are jostling for my attention, but I thought, actually, no, I, I really feel like recording an episode, which I haven't for a few weeks because I've just been too swamped. And yeah, I think that's important because I would like to think that you all hear it in my voice, that I want to be here. I want to be talking to you that I want to be giving you this kind of audio hug, as it were. Anyway, so the last four weeks, what have I been up to? Um, well, lots. I had a huge audiobook proofing project. Um, the book was 400 pages long and thankfully the book was fantastic and I really enjoyed it, but I, I don't think I can talk about it. So there was audiobook proofing. There was a, a really important and exciting proposal uh, for a project that um, was to try and gain funding to do a project that I'm very passionate about that uh, took up a lot of my time in Shropshire and uh, and it looks like it's going to be successful but I am not able to talk about it yet. <laughs> All I will say is that it is not related to writing so apologies if you are waiting for my next book, it's going to be a long while yet. It's actually to do with podcasting and I will tell you about that as soon as I am able. What else have I been doing? Um, I've been doing a lot of reading and thinking for my utopian novel. This book feels different. It feels like it needs a lot of thinking deeply about stuff before getting to the page. And I'm not saying that any book I've ever written, I've never thought deeply about, I have. But this feels like it's on a different level. All of the science fiction books that I've written before 
uh, in the Planetfall universe, I did a lot of thinking about technology and how it could plausibly evolve and what the impact of that could be on society when it intersects with greed and capitalism and etc etc whereas writing the utopian it feels like there's a lot of different kinds of thinking because I'm effectively trying to imagine a world post-capitalism and you know that's quite hard isn't it (laughs) lots of people have been talking about how hard it is to imagine a world outside of the system that we're all trapped within I'm really enjoying it a lot and I am developing new opinions about uh, the purpose of utopian fiction and how we approach it that I don't think I should talk about yet because this is the most I've ever talked about a project before finishing it. Usually I don't like to talk about it at all, but uh, I am keen to let you know what I've been working on. Uh, There are two other big projects that I have made significant progress with in the last uh, four weeks as well. One of which is that I actually finally got my art up for sale online. Yay! It's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time and I had to overcome technical challenges, logistical challenges, but... The hardest to overcome was actually my own brain weasels about selling my art online. And funny enough, all of the research I did about different shop options, etc, etc, all became completely irrelevant because uh, I realised that on Ko-fi, I have a Ko-fi account, um, and back when everything went crazy with Operation Mallard, um, I used Ko-fi to raise £500 for the RSPB. And the community manager at uh, Kofi became aware of what I was doing, gave me a gold membership for free as a well done for doing something nice. (laughs) And as part of a gold membership on Kofi, you can run an online shop and they don't take a cut. Now, obviously, one has to pay for the gold tier membership on Kofi or gold level account or whatever. Um, And I was very lucky that it was gifted to me. But what it means is that there is a very, very easy to use shop interface and I don't have to pay a percentage of what I earned through the shop to the platform, which is great because, you know, every pound counts at the moment. It really does. And so I had eight pieces of art that were left, only only um, a very small number of paintings and my little book dragon. I've got some other sculptures, but they're a bit too fragile to send in the post. I think I'm going to keep those for art shows at conventions. Uh, But yeah, the last paintings that I have available and um, my book dragon went up into the shop. And in the first three days, uh, four out of the eight sold, which I was thrilled about. So the way that I've been approaching it is that when I've put stuff live, I tell my patrons about it first. Um, and then my newsletter subscribers, and then general social media. And that will be what I do as I go forwards when I have a chance to create new things. So there are only four items left on there, and I am really, really pleased. I haven't done a lot of promoting online because it's coming up to Christmas. There are lots of postal strikes here in the UK, which I fully support. And there are lots of packages that are being built up within the um, postal system. And I thought, this isn't the time of year to, you know, add to that. (laughs) I'm only doing UK posting at the moment because I'm still looking into different postage options for international 
sales. Uh, it just is so expensive. It's such a minefield. Uh, so I'm still researching that. Um, and then the other big project that I've made a big amount of progress with is the Planetfall short story collection. Yay! Uh, yeah, this is new territory for me. All of the stuff I've ever had published has been through traditional publishing. And I've worked with teeny tiny presses right up to huge publishers like Penguin and Galanz. I don't have any experience of self-publishing and this is my first foray into that brave new world and it's actually proven to be a lot easier than I thought it was going to be which is really nice. I have recorded all of the stories and the author interview that is going with the collection and that was my last proofing of the manuscript and it was a very good way to proof because even though I edited it like three times before I recorded the audio I still found those last errors when I was recording. I hope that that is the vast vast majority of them but I know that even in traditionally published books one or two of the little blighters still get through but I've done my best. So those are all recorded, the book cover is nearly finished and I have finished the formatting for the ebook and I have got that uploaded ready to go as soon as the book cover comes out and because I want to give myself time to edit the audiobook and release it all at the same time I'm setting a release date of the 31st of January 2023. When I get the book cover, which will hopefully be very soon, I will be able to set up the ebook for pre-orders and I will obviously let people know in my usual channels. And of course, being me, I'm really nervous. <laughs> I don't know why. I hope it, you know, reaches people who want to read them. That's all I can ask for. I am going to look into print options once I've got everything else sorted out. But my priorities are ebook and audiobook. Oh, and the other thing I did, of course, was I finished recording Good Neighbours for Stephanie Burgess, um, which is a just gorgeous cosy supernatural romance such a lovely project to work on that was the other thing I've done over the last few weeks is uh, finish that not enough writing we'll hopefully be able to correct that in January part five delicious nerdery I was in two minds about whether this could be classed as nerdery, but I've decided that this is my podcast and if I want it to come into this category, it can. And I'm going to talk about Mastodon. So there's been, you know, kind of chaos in the last few weeks as a certain billionaire decided to destroy a certain social media network that was actually very important to me. Anyway... This is a place of positivity and hope, so we're not going to dwell anymore upon that. I just wanted to give the context, because with the continuing death of Twitter, everybody was obviously throwing around dozens of different options. It felt like a panicked scramble in the creative community. And I went and tried Mastodon in the Fediverse. And this is not the place for a technical explanation of what it is. What I want to focus on is how much I've enjoyed it and am continuing to enjoy it. I said in the first week or two that I really spent some time there that it felt like Twitter in 2009, <laughs> which was around about the time when I started over there. And it was before 
you know, the algorithm got really, really, really screwed with. And you could actually talk to people. You could actually follow people and only see what they posted. Oh, halcyon days. But anyway, Mastodon very much feels like that. It's not perfect. No social media option is perfect. But you know what? The values of the Fediverse align much more closely with my own than any other social media network that I use. It really does feel like everybody is doing their absolute best to create a space that is not anything like Twitter. And one of the things that I've really become aware of in the few weeks that I've been on Mastodon is how refreshing it is to have a feed on a social media network that is only populated by what I want it to be populated by. And that sounds ridiculous, but because that's what you would think that social media networks should be. But there aren't any other places where you get that experience now, certainly out of the, the ones that I've used. And it feels like all of the other places are getting less and less usable by normal people. <laughs> because the big media companies are always tweaking the algorithms to favour the activities that make them money rather than the end user experience. And you would think that the end user experience would be more important because that increases the engagement with the site. But I feel like that is being lost in other places. And in Mastodon, that is not the case. It is anti-capitalist, it is decentralised, and it is so refreshing. There are obstacles for new users. It is not the same as anywhere else. But I really do feel like a lot of the things that make it just that little bit more difficult to get your head around are actually the strengths of the service. I'm not going to go into lots of detail about that. Perhaps there's another place I could do that one day. But anyway, I am on the instance mindly.social. There was about an hour where I felt completely lost and I didn't know what I was doing. That first entry into using Mastodon is hard when you're trying to find an instance. There's one called wandering.shop, which seems like it has all of my author friends on it. And it's like, oh, that feels like there's a party over there that I didn't know about. <laughs> and dice.camp is a place where there are lots of role players and um, RPG creatives. Again, somewhere where I would feel very at home. But I'm on a different instance and it doesn't matter because I can follow people who are on both of those instances and it's not an issue because of the way that I've been using the service. So yes, I am spending more time there. Funnily enough, a place which is not controlled by an algorithm is far more enjoyable to spend time on. And I have had such a positive experience and many more conversations there than I'd have on Twitter for years. It's early days. People are figuring this out. There are obviously going to be problems. But the thing that I keep coming back to with Mastodon and the instance that I'm on is that it is not something that is being run for profit. And that makes a huge difference because there isn't an incentive to do things to satisfy advertisers more than the users. I will put a link in the show notes of where you can find me on Mastodon. Come and jump in, the water is fine. You've just listened to an episode of Tea and Sanctuary. 
If you enjoyed the show and would like to be an absolute bless poppet, you can help to keep the teapot full by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash Emma Newman. This episode was brought to you by five cups of tea, some chunks of panettone from a Christmas hamper from my aunt and uncle, thank you, and a tiny moat of Yule cheer found in an embrace from an old friend. Go forth, my twinkling stars, and be lovely to each other.